The Run Culture podcast has always been a passion project. It was created to share stories and experiences, to educate runners and to grow the sport. Ultimately, to show that running is cool. The podcast has provided us all opportunities to listen and learn from some interesting people in the running world. Welcome to the Run Culture podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I am an all-out running fan and an accredited running coach, a marathoner myself and an experienced physiotherapist that specialises in treating runners. So, before we get right into the show, if you have enjoyed any of the previous episodes of the Run Culture podcast and they have added value to your life and you want to support the podcast going into 2021, then we have a Patreon page. It's linked to in the show notes. A small monthly donation will go a heck of a way to keeping the show alive. By doing so, you too can also feel fulfilled that you are doing your bit to promote and grow the sport. Also, for those runners interested or in need, links to my online strength and conditioning course for runners or run therapy, my physiotherapy clinic, are also in the show notes. Alas, enough from me. Here's this week's interview. something a little different. Today we're joined by uh, Dane Verway, uh, founder of Run Culture and coach of the Run Culture Hours. Welcome, Dane. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks uh, for the intro, Pete. And it's great to be back. Um, currently in hotel quarantine in Melbourne. Um, and yeah, had, had an amazing experience um, at the Tokyo Paralympics. Um, so was um, pretty wrapped to have a chat about it um when you sort of broached me on the idea yeah i i thought this is definitely something that the listeners would love to listen to there's a lot of people that have followed your journey and so yeah let's dive into it so this has um been sort of in the works for months now so how did this all come about yeah um well yeah i was pretty lucky you know in this time that the world's in to have an opportunity like this so i was pretty grateful to get away and 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 experience um you know something like the paralympics at tokyo while you know you know so much of um australia is in lockdown um uh, i guess the opportunity arose um mm, several months ago i got asked um whether I'd be able to help out um, because one of the physios who normally uh, does it, um, you know, wasn't able to um, and was a bit worried about the whole COVID situation. And and that had been something that was on everyone's mind as as to whether it would go ahead. And and that was something that made it a bit of a, you know, uh, we were all nervous about whether, you know, the COVID situation would be okay. you know, now that all that's been said and done, um, it did go really well, and and um, the whole Paralympic Australian team um, got back unscathed, um, uh, which was fantastic, um, and you know shows you know that um, you know future sporting events you know can go ahead. Um, uh, but yeah, the the opportunity really ar- arose through. Um, through a bit of luck there and chance and then also um 
probably the relationships I've formed um, over the last sort of five or six years um, with a few of the distant distance guys that were part of the Paralympic um, athletics team. So Jared Clifford, Michael Rogar, uh, Tim Logan, Sam Harding, Dion Kenzie, uh, and their coach, Philo Saunders, um, having done, you know, a few trips as a physio on their altitude training camps. Uh, they thought I'd be a, a good match um, uh, for those guys while they were competing at the championship. So, yeah, it was sort of um, through that opportunity and, and, and that opportunity arose um, just from being interested in athletics for a long time and, um, and showing an interest in, in physio and running over a long time. Is, um, so is this the like, the biggest um, opportunity you've been given as a physio? Because I know you've um, gone to some World Cross teams for Athletics Australia and a few um, big events like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, um, yeah, it's a bit. It was a bit surreal being over there and um, saying, "Oh, far out!" Um, actually, at the Paralympics here. Um, so it was definitely um, the you know the 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 biggest uh, or the highest level of competition that I've ever been a part of, um, and it was you know such a privilege to sort of um, feel a part of that and and be amongst such amazing people. Um, I met so many amazing people um, and new people and uh, learnt so much on the trip. Um, yeah, but yeah, the world cross country opportunities. Um, I've sort of done a, three of them and they were a good sort of stepping stone for this trip. But then this trip was completely different. Um, I was, um, you know, amongst um, athletes with disabilities and so many different types of disabilities and track and field events. So jumps and throws, not just runners. And uh, yeah, just absolutely loved the um, experience because I, like I said, I learned so much, um, whether it was about um, athlete stories and the disabilities that they've, um, you know, had to battle throughout their life. Um, and and just a lot of the athletes, um, yeah, they were just so amazing in terms of um, they were more than just athletes. They had really lived... Um, you know, through um, some hard times, a lot of them, and overcome some some hard things. So um, I felt like um, not only were they great at what they did, but they were also amazing people and had such a great uh, grasp of of life um, and and um, and were resilient um, and very grateful people. So it was really cool to be a part of so many people that were like that and. Um, so many of the health professionals that were working with the team um, were so so worldly and um, such um, encouraging and nice people too. Um, and I don't know if back home uh, the general public really could see this, but um, like I've heard that the Channel Seven coverage was really good, um, but the the energy and um, the vibe in the Australian village was just so cool to be a part of. Um, and whether that's because we've all been through this hardship with COVID and, and the lockdowns and a lack of norm normality, um, but it was so good to to be amongst people and, and uh, 
the team really gelled and uh and I think everyone felt like um uh they were you know they they were part of something really great and uh from the feedback that I've heard from back home like a lot of people really got on board so it was so good for the Paralympic movement um going forward uh because of COVID um they got you know so much more coverage and um and uh yeah I I think that you know so, so many people were just so keen to see some sport and um and and um some some great great stories and because everyone was locked locked at home so uh yeah it couldn't have been a better time for the paralympics um uh to be on yeah channel seven definitely did an amazing job with the coverage across all sports the two weekends and um it's good to see paralympics finally get in the um mainstream media coverage that they they deserve yeah yeah like um and definitely there and on you what you said about um everyone just kind of being happy to be there you definitely noticed it in the like post event interviews as well with especially with the australians they were just full of so much energy and it was like refreshing to see they waited so long for that opportunity and they they all seemed like they were loving it over there yeah i think um a lot of the commentary team for Channel 7, I think half of them were ex-Paralympians, like you had Kurt Fernley and a few others. So they really understood, um, you know, understood the sport and, and, and knew, like shared that sort of, um, you know, Paralympic movement. And um, so, and uh, yeah, the commentators, like I know uh, Carmichael, who was at the track, he was just so positive and just like, was loving it um and uh yeah i think um you know if, if a bit of that energy sort of um came across back home um like that that's awesome yeah it's definitely it was definitely awesome to see and um and listen to i can't imagine what it would have been like at ground level yeah yeah i mean it was it was yeah just it was pretty incredible to learn about, um, yeah, so many people's stories um, and what they'd been through. Um, yeah, like, um, and then pretty much like a, a typical day for me was um, like I was in the village for probably half the day and then I was at the athletics track for half the day and um, I was either treating the athletes um, and and making sure that they were recovering um, off the flight or off the plane or off um, just um, the beds were pretty hard. The cardboard beds were pretty hard. So um, if they had any stiffness, cause I was just waiting around in the village tapering uh, was just to try to make sure that they were feeling ready. Um, and um, yeah, it, so I got to know like, um, yeah, quite a few of the athletes quite well. And um and then just in the village, everyone, you know, had breakfast, lunch and dinner together, um, no matter what sport you were. So, uh, you know, that the athletics team uh, mixed with the goalball team, mixed with the rugby, basketball, tennis team. Um, 
and you know you might be sitting next to Dylan Allcott or Riley Bat or Danny Dottorio or uh, yeah Matty De Rosario um, and um, they were yeah just all normal people um, and uh, it was you know pretty cool to be amongst that and just see how they operated um, at such a high level of the sport where there's a lot of pressure, um, a lot of attention back home. Um, they'd been training for five years for this um, event and it was their, their real big opportunity. Um, so much effort and toil had gone into these this event and um, just really cool to see how they handled themselves, some of their um, routines and uh, how 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 um yeah they were still able to stay incredibly relaxed at times um and enjoy the enjoy the experience but then at other times they got serious and they knew when to get serious so um yeah it was a really good insight to championship preparation and um see, seeing it from the inside and and getting a really good idea of uh, what the athlete village is like and um and some insides and outside sort of information uh yeah so many amazing experiences whether it was um accompanying the the white tiger to a drug test um and and having to be there as a chaperone um like that was an experience that i'd never forget um uh and it was just plain and simple just a normal drug test but it's just something that i'd never experienced so it was um you know, good to just get that insight of how that works and that process works. Um, and yeah, just so many other things. Did, um, so what did you, did you learn anything from the athletes in the sense of what it takes to train and compete at the highest level that you could, um, apply to your own sort of sporting endeavors? Um, yeah, I, I think each athlete sort of approach from what I saw approached their events so differently because um, you had some veterans on the team and then you had some youngsters on the team uh, it was really cool to because I where I was the room that I had I was with um, five other coaches so it was really cool to listen to and they were experienced coaches and um, they coached a wide range of events whether it was throws sprints um, yeah distance running um, or jumps and it was really cool to listen to them talk about their different type of athletes and how how they really just intimately knew the athlete that they were dealing with and um uh i guess they knew the quirks of the athlete like i remember for before one of maddie's um wheelchair um races on the track she had the 1500 meter heat and bernie her usual physio couldn't um wasn't scheduled to go to the track that night and i was so bernie um in great detail told me maddie's preparation and um it was down to every five minutes it was like at 6 10 um maddie has a blue power raid at 6 15 uh she gets a, a massage um at um and loosens this particular area um so that she's nice and free and can breathe properly um, and it was really detailed and, and I found a lot of the coaches were like that, um, at that level, they left nothing to chance. Um, 
uh, Irene, um, one of the really successful um, Paralympic coaches on the Australian team, uh, she she showed me her plan for her athletes on the day of the call room and, and, and the day of their event. And yeah, it was just like planned um, to the minute, um, which was really interesting. Um, I think when you're at that level and you've got one shot at it and it's taking you five years to get there, um, I think that's the attention that they they have and and then also like that that fact that everything's planned you've got no downtime to get nervous as such because you've always got something to focus on and that was um yeah really interesting to to hear and see and and just that the the veteran athletes um seem to have less coaching and they kind of knew what worked for them and the coach sort of left those athletes to their own devices whereas the younger athletes um were sort of being shown the ropes and the coach was there and sort of telling them okay at this point do this at this point do this um and then they you know a few of the athletes it was really just about having an experience so that in paris 2024 um they've they've got that experience and and they're more likely to be closer to their peak um you know in 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 three to um seven years um so it was really about just learning the process and learning learning what does work what doesn't work and and what they um yeah need to work on for the future yeah that's, that's definitely an interesting point there's no like one one way to coach or um train really that's just about what what works for each individual athlete and trying to like you said, find what works and what doesn't and I just go through the process. Yeah, like you really got a good insight to the different personalities on the team as, as one of the physiotherapists treating them each day and um, and then you could see how their preparations um, sort of were and how the coaches um, uh, sort of liaised with, with those athletes you know, they just took the personality of your athlete so much into account, which, I mean, is kind of common sense. You'd, you'd think that would ha happen, but um, I think just that individuality and it's not one size fits all. And uh, like, uh, for example, for the seated shot put, um, uh, Rosemary, um, one of the athletes um, who threw really well, because she fatigued quite easily and because her event's so long, she didn't, her warm up constituted of like three TheraBand pulls and, and that was it. And I was um, kind of gobsmacked and I talked to Hamish, um, her coach, and um, she's like, no, nah, he's like, no, nah, that's just how she does it. And um, it, it kind of really works well for her. Um, and so, like, you know, for, for certain athletes and certain events, um, yeah. It, You've, you've just got to learn what works for the for the athlete um so yeah no it was it was really insightful yeah that, that's that's so cool that everyone's kind of kind of different like that yeah yeah and you, you sort of like well Cause, um, like because like some of that stuff like if you just go to go oh you know i i should i should train how jared clifford trains um uh, because it works well for him because um, he's, you know, finished the Paralympics with three medals. Um, uh, you know, he he trains the way he trains. 
I guess because he's resilient, like he can handle a lot of training and and so far in his young career, he hasn't seemed to get many injuries um, and there's not many athletes like that. Um, so, it, yeah, you've really got to um, cater for your, your own sort of strengths and weaknesses and, and, yeah, you can get inspiration from someone else's training, but you've got to really distill it and, and make it a bit more your own. so many special um, and incredible moments that happened during the games. Um, talk the listeners through what you saw and what you what you witnessed. Yeah, uh, one of like I've got a few favourite moments. Um, uh, probably an unexpected. One of my favourite moments was um, Mikhail Burian in the javelin getting silver. Um, I met him um, on the flight over. Um, to Tokyo, he, he was sitting um, next to me and, um, yeah, I ended up learning that, you know, he trains in Sandringham and um, uh, he's, um, you know, only recently come over, you know, since 2012 from the Czech Republic and, and he got his Australian citizenship and, uh, yeah, he, he's... Um, uh, like he just had such a nice sound head on his shoulders and and I sort of like um you, you could kind of um predict that he was going to go well um just with uh how he was quite um rational about how he was preparing for the uh, um competition he just came across in a really nice nice manner and um he just seemed confident and he seemed like just super keen without being um too too keen and uh and then it was amazing to see um like he, he showed showed me like this little text message or this little um the background of his uh watch that he changed uh just before the competition and uh it sort of said i'll oh, focus on the on the process not the outcome and and then if you if you do that you're more likely to um, get a result that you're you're quite happy with because you've you've done the best you can with with the moment. And uh, he changes his his watch screen to that before every competition and uh, every throw. He started with a bit of a, a poor throw, a bit of a dud throw, but every throw got better. And and then he his last throw um, he threw a three meter PB and um, it was. Um, uh, a world record, but someone, the in, Indian um, thrower threw further. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just, like, so cool to see um, an amazing result like that, um, something that he's worked so hard to do. But um, but I just felt like, um, uh, yeah, it couldn't have happened to a nicer nicer person. Um, so it was really – that I don't know, that was quite special. Um to, to see um, because I kind of really liked um, his demeanor and uh, and then like there was another moment where um, uh, Vanessa Lowe she came to Tokyo a bit later than a lot of the other athletes because um, she was later in the competition and um, she's um, a double leg uh, amputee um, so you've got two prosthetic um, limbs and she does long jump and she used to compete for germany she actually won the gold medal in the long jump in rio and i didn't know um any of this i was really naive going into 
the Paralympics. Uh, so I I sort of um, was sitting on the bus and, and every time we're on the bus, we've been really careful just to stay together. Um, all the Australians sit together and um, masks on and sit at the back of the bus. So not many countries were sort of walking past just out of sort of a COVID safe kind of uh, behavior. And so Vanessa was like, oh, Dane, sit next to me because um, you spread out. And so I sat next to her and um, got to really learn about her story and uh, how she lost her legs um, in a train accident um, when she was only a young girl. And uh, and then just, um, just her amazing um, uh, way she views life and the way that she's um, made made her life as it is and then she told me about how she sort of um goes about long jump and uh how she was a bit worried about the tracks really fast in tokyo compared to back home and how that normally she has about a 20 step run up and in, in on the warm-up track um she's about a, a meter quicker um over those 20 steps a meter further so because she can't feel the ground proprioceptively very well because she's got the the prosthesis, um, that's a really important aspect that she needs to get right for a long jump to go well. And so so I was really keen to watch her later in the comp. And when she competed, I saw her do a few, um, few jumps where she really got the run-up wrong. Um, and I was like, oh, that's what's going on. And so I understood the, the long jump a bit better and um and then she she just got it right at the end there and um yeah jumped um yeah f five meters 20 um and uh um she won the competition and got another gold medal and um yeah just knowing a bit about the backstory and what went into it and uh, what a lovely person she is and um yeah that was a highlight but there's so many like um whether it was just um yeah, like a, a few of the wheelchair athletes that I treated and, and listening to them on, on the table or before comps or at training and uh, just listening to um, their views on life and um, just how even just a lot of the, like, I, I don't know if this is a thing, but I found the wheelchair athletes incredibly patient um, and uh, and I think, yeah, this was just my interpretation of it all, but I just feel like they're they're so used to waiting for things that that they were just yes, so um yeah, capable of being patient and and so um relaxed and um easygoing and, and I thought it was a really nice quality um uh yeah, just met so many people, learnt so much. Um another highlight would have been all the distance guys and and all, all the events that they did um jared's um you know amazing efforts out there um in the three events that he did um he didn't get that elusive gold medal that he was after but he couldn't have tried any harder and to be a, a pretty um to to, to 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 treat him every day and and to have a chat with him every day and 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 to hear what was going through his mind, um, uh, you know, in those moments, um, was yeah, pretty, pretty special, um, um, to feel, you know, a little bit of part of it and, and just to get that insight. Um, and yeah, he speaks so well. Um, he had so many people in tears, um, 
with, uh, yeah, his post-race interviews. Um, like, I, I know um, one of the team managers, um, yeah, Linda um, Gussie, um, she was in tears after, I think it was Cliffy's um, uh, 1500 with Sam Harding, um, just because, you know, he just didn't, like, talk about himself. Um, he talked about everyone else involved in the journey, everyone else who was competing, um, which, um, yeah, was kind of, yeah, really cool um, uh, how appreciative he was of, um, you know, everyone around him. And, um, yes, there was, there was so many experiences. I could keep going on, Pete, but, um, yeah, I feel like I'm waffling. <laughs> yeah, just, um, just on Jared Clifford for a second, right? We, we both got the opportunity to, well, that was in Sydney at the marathon trials. That was the first time I'd um, really been around him. And I just couldn't believe how positive and just upbeat he was about um, like everything. And that was the first time I um, got to see firsthand what he was really capable of. And um, yeah, like you said, he just, so positive just asking about everyone else like he was he would he was wrapped how you ran at the trials and it's um just so good to watch him give everything he had more over those three events yeah Tokyo. yeah he's got an amazing attitude in fact that whole squad uh philo saunders squad um kind of seems to stem from the top like philo is probably one of the most optimistic people that you'd you'd meet he's always um uh he always said like one of the words he always says he's like oh how good or um oh it's so good like he says that probably 20 times a day um and even like he just sees the the positive side of of nearly everything which is i mean it's a really good trait to be honest um uh to have especially you know if the chips are down um rather than dwelling on um you know you know the negatives at least you're seeing what you can do or what you could do. And it really is that growth mindset and, and they've all got it. Um, and so many of the Paralympians do have it. Um, you know, they might have a disability of, of type, but they don't see it as such. Um, they see it as an opportunity and, um, and all of them like, uh, very similar in that respect. And, and, and that's why it was so special to be a part of, because I feel like, um, that 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 mindset is is something that um yeah is probably another highlight of of the trip because i like i i knew i knew it was important um um to to have that in, in terms of um uh grasping life with both hands um but it was incredible how everyone on the team seemed to have it and so you're just a, a monk. i think that's why there was such a amazing energy in that team because they all had it um uh yeah, no matter what sport the paralympian um aussie paralympians were from um yeah uh so you know cliffy cliffy is amazing and um and he's only really young so like it's amazing how how um yeah some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth actually um kind of feel like he's a little bit what <laughs> wise beyond his years already um so he, he he really is a good spokesperson um uh as as well as athlete um 
and it really is inspirational um, and should be inspirational for many, many people. Um, I, I'd say like a lot of athletes there were really good at, um, at um, yeah, that same sort of, um, I don't know, leadership um, and, and uh, uh, like Maddie, Maddie uh, Madison was exactly the same. I felt like she was so intelligent and um, had, had really great insights into, um, yeah, yes, yeah, so, like um, uh, the sport, Paralympic movement, and um, and had really good messages for more people to hear. Um, and sa same with Vanessa Lowe. Like I, I felt like um, she, yeah, really had some great messages too. So there were there were just yeah, count countless um, inspirational people. Um, and I think that's what I really took from it. They were more than sports people. They were just classy, uh, well-balanced, um, wise um, people that had great messages and um, uh, which which a lot of people should be inspired from no matter what you're trying to um, aim for in life. Um, I feel like a lot of their messages um, were very transferable. Yeah, that that's definitely a good point. We we can definitely learn a lot from these athletes and the way that we approach life and just go about our daily routines, especially in these tough kind of lockdown times and just trying to be more positive, I think's a, a good message to take from these athletes. Yeah. And then um I think I heard Maddie say something really nice. It was like, um, she's like often, um, yeah, when you're around, like, like with, with the Paralympics, like suddenly all the Paralympians get a bit of attention and, um, and, and I guess, and, uh, and, and, and that's great. And, um, you can, you know, really encourage, um, what people can achieve, um, no matter what hardship they've been through. Um, but, uh, but I also think what I, what she sort of said and, and what I learned from her and what I could see from my experience was, um, the, that I feel like disability, there should be less stigma to it. And, uh, like, I feel like, um, and, and the only way, the only way that's going to change over time is, um, if like, if we get, um, you know, more, so the more disabled people are just regularly in the community doing normal, like just doing everyday jobs and, and you see how capable people can be. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, doesn't matter if you're a successful at your job, you don't have to be successful at the sport that you do. Um, but I just, I just think, um, she was really trying to um, de-stigmatize de um, disability and um, Paralympic sport and get people to appreciate, um, yeah, differences are good and um, being unique is a good thing and, uh, and it just makes you special. Um, and yeah, I think that message, um, was another message that I really got. Um, and I think that's why I found 
um, Madison, like, um, pretty inspiring too. Yeah, hopefully, uh, well, medals aside and everything, the biggest hope from the games is, like you said, you you want to inspire people in similar situations to to get the courage to either start sport or just be more comfortable with their their circumstances and know that um, they can achieve whatever whatever their hopes and dreams are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like to to sort of um, help, and I think that's where it's quite powerful. The Paralympic movement is it helps sort of break break barriers and that people put on themselves, and and often they're just um, uh, it's just um, sort of sort of n- negative thoughts um, that and they're self imposed, um, and they're just um, what you think um, is your capability, whereas like potentially. Um, there's so much more, um, and even if it just gets a few people um, to to think that, um, oh no, maybe I can do that kind of job, or maybe I, um, you know, sh- should try this type of sport, or um, you know, if it if it gets people to um, you know grow and and uh, learn more and challenge themselves more. Um, like what a special thing that is um if that's what the paralympics has achieved um and i know that is like an underwhelming uh, underlying um underlying sort of motivation to a lot of the athletes like yeah they're they're trying to achieve something um and they've got their own sort of challenge and they're trying to get better in what they're pursuing but overall like a lot of them are just doing it because if they go well in that area, they're showing what's possible, and um, and potentially a big driving force is that they're inspiring others to do the same, and and that's more than themselves, and that's that's such an amazing feeling when you feel like you're inspiring, you know, a whole truckload of other people, um, rather than it's just sort of this self indulgent kind of dream. Yeah, exactly, and. Um... They're trying to set the sport up for generations to come when they decide to step away, and um, they're doing an amazing job as ambassadors and just inspiring people. Yeah, last last night, um, so I'm in quarantine in Melbourne. I'm currently looking at the Balti Bridge, um, and um, I've got another twelve days of it. Um, but last night, um, they had a a little. Um, zoom catch up of like everyone who was involved um in the um australian paralympic team and um uh kurt fernley spoke and it was really cool to hear some insight to a few of the um people who are responsible for channel seven's coverage and and how that how how it all came across and um in australia in australia and kurt said he was just like so um proud of like so many of the the athletes um in the team and and how um like he he was just um wrapped that the spirit that he sort of had for the paralympic movement back when he was really competing um and in his prime he felt like it had really been carried through and that same culture um had had um if anything grown um a lot um this year um and it was even even stronger um so yeah that was really cool to hear too yeah it's um definitely awesome to see 
So um, everyone that knows you knows you as a bit of a marathon guy. Did um did you get out on course to watch the marathon, or were you um were you working? Yeah, yeah, I, like that was on the last day, um, and I was really fortunate to be on the twenty-kilometer drink station, and um, so we had to wake up at oh, I had to wake up at three twenty in the morning because um, I had to um, I'd been um, treating Vince um, the Vincent the whole whole trip, so Jared's first guide um, in the marathon. And he'd he'd um, struggled a little bit with um, an injury, and I was treating him every day. And I taped up his his um, injury that morning at three twenty in the morning uh, with some kinesio tape. Um, and then we were off into the bus and went out to the twenty k drink station. And um, it was actually the second half of the trip was actually a little bit cooler than the first week. So the, if you saw um, Jared Clifford's 5k those conditions were ridiculous like that was 30 degrees and so humid and um you could really see that in how how um his post-race um how tired he was and uh and and we were like so um conscious of getting ice to everyone and and controlling everyone's body temp uh with ice vests and um and slushies and towels wet towels but yeah fortunately for the marathon um, it was a lot cooler and we didn't have to worry about that. Um, and so um, we was, I was standing at the 20K drink station and it was actually raining a little bit and, and quite cool. So I had the jacket on and there was a bus um, with the um, TV screen on. So I was able to watch the event and how they were going and, and how Matt, Maddie was going and um, Eliza um, and... Um, uh, Christy um, Dawes, uh, how they were going in the in the wheelchair um, race, and um, then they came through at ten k because the ten k was where the twenty k was as well. So I saw them at the ten k, twenty k, twenty eight k, and then Philo, um, Jared, and, and Michael Roger's coach came through, and he was he was um, running to different points on the course, and we'd teed up that I was going to. So after I'd done the drink station, which we aced, um, which was great. Um, so yeah, Jared successfully got his drink from me and, and Roger got um, his drink from Paula, who was at the drink station with me. Um, I followed Philo um, um, and ran to the 33K point and cheered the guys on and, and then ran to the track and, and saw the finish. Um, and that, that sprint to the track was, um, yeah, we had to drop some three-minute um, 40 k's just to get to the finish line in time um but it was pretty special to see um everyone enter the the stadium because there was some that stadium like even without anyone in it there was something about it like it was like um it was built into the ground so it was actually underground level and then this the stand and stadium kind of curved over the top so there was no wind and it felt like a a cauldron and there was just so much atmosphere in that stadium without anyone in it um there was flashing lights it was just massive uh, you never get a chance to run in a stadium like that as an athlete like you're so used to the tracks back home where you know you might have um one pavilion and then a whole heap of wind and nothing else and and uh you know, the long jump pit at the back um but yeah that, that stadium 
um, was pretty special and everyone commented on it. Like it just, just was, um, yeah, amazing feeling. Um, and then, yeah, seeing those guys, you know, they were all pretty cooked and, and Roger, you know, he was, he was pretty disappointed. Um, you know, he just, just had a tough preparation, um, and, you know, had a, had a bit of a stress reaction, um, you know, six, six weeks out. So, um, his training was really patchy, um, in the lead up. So he did really well to get to the line and it was pretty gutsy effort. Um, cause he, he struggles with cramps, um, often in his marathons, even with a good preparation. So, um, yeah, he did, he did really well to get to the line. Um, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, pretty awesome day that, that, um, marathon day and to see Maddie's win as well, like, and the way that she won, um, in the stand, um, you know, down to the last straight in a marathon, um, like what a special way, um, to finish off her campaign. And, um, like she, she, um, she was just, um, so stoked. Like, I think I'm pretty sure she's, she's, um, said that that's pretty much been the highlight of her, her career, um, uh, that race. And, um, yeah, that's one that a lot of people have said has been that was their highlight of the games. Yeah. Um, so on the, on the drink station, what was the, what was the strategy? Cause a lot of people wouldn't have um seeing like how a drink station works and especially when you've got someone tethered to you um <laughs> with a guide rope how how does that all um yeah play out yeah so the day before we had um a couple of meetings and one was for the course and so we knew the course and and the in, in and outs of the course and we watched this video footage and then the, the next one was working out who was on what drink station. So we had about, um, so there was eight drink stations. We had about 16, um, Australian, um, officials and, and athletes and, and volunteers, um, manning all the stands and most of them, uh, knew, knew Jared or Roger in some way. Um, so that was pretty special actually. Like most of his training squad was scattered throughout the, the um the marathon um on the drink stands and we had a whatsapp group that was sort of constantly saying oh they're through 5k 10k 15k they're looking good or um this is how they're going uh, so that was really cool and a lot of photos and and that was cool to follow along and pretty much like um whoever was handing to jared had to wear a yellow shirt so that he was more likely to see you and then whoever was handing to Roger had to wear a green shirt. So there was two people on each uh, drink stand and you had to stand behind the table and then just hold your arm out. Um, we held the top of the bottle um, and and Jared knew that he had to try to just try to grab the bottom of where your hand was. So he could only really see um, your, your arm and your shirt and he couldn't really see the bottle that well. So he would just run through and try to grab below your arm and yeah, it worked. It worked really well. Um, we worked out that he was going to be the one to grab the drinks because he's the one who needed the drinks. Um, Vincent, who was the guide to 21Ks, and Tim, who was the guide for the last 21Ks, um, Tim Logan, uh, they were fine to run the race without drinks. So there was also a lot of general drinks every um, every other 5K. So 
Um, there was a lot of sponges and water bottles. Um, the course was incredibly well marked, as you'd expect, um, and it was pretty amazing to to be run, see them running through the streets of Tokyo with no cars and and all the streets blocked off and and the streets were there were a few quite a few spectators, um, but they still felt pretty eerie and quiet at times. Um, and yeah, it was it was. Um, yeah, that's sort of how the drink stations worked. Yeah, and did you did you get to witness the um the changeover between uh, Vincent and Tim as guards? Because I thought that was very interesting to watch on the TV. Yeah, that I've only watched the replay. That was a k a kilometer after my drink station, and that that was seamless. Like they were pretty proud of that. That was um like clockwork. Um, they practiced that. Um, the two days before the race, um, and Tim and and Jared particularly um, move so well together. They're, they've done so much running since they were really young together. Their techniques are very similar. If you look um, from the waist down, um, their stride pattern and their stride length is so similar. And yeah, uh, it would have been a, a couple of years ago in 2019 uh, on one of the trips that I helped out as a physio with. Um, Jared and and the guys. Um, Jared gave me the tether, and he's like, Dane, let's see if you can do some guiding. And um, anyone who knows my cadence, it's it's like two hundred steps a minute, like really mini steps and and shuffly, and it's complete polar opposite to Jared's nice fluent bounding stride. Um, so there's a real art to to guiding and and running with someone and and trying to get into a rhythm. And and Tim and Jared, like I think that's an underrated. Um, partnership and how how good they are at it and how fluent they are together um vince is really coming along with it what what he struggled a little bit with was was the injury um the month month before um so his training was a bit limited a bit like michael roger um and uh but he, he did an amazing job and was so gutsy um to to do that first half as he did um and Jared, you know, couldn't be happier with the guy's efforts. Um, after the race, Jared was like, I couldn't have gone any faster. Like he was, he said that was one of the hardest things he's ever done that marathon. So, um, yeah, just, just gives an indication of, um, yeah, how, how hard, um, Jared pushes himself, but yeah, how well the guides did. Um, Tim also, I remember when Jared was, um, spewing up at 28k and and then you know all around the track uh, tim after it was just saying like he just like he, he just can't get over how um jared's a different beast he just seems to be able to um push through pain like a lot of people can't um and i thought that was you know something that was really insightful um to hear because you know tim knows jared really well and um yeah uh, there must have been a few moments late in that race where Jared was suffering and struggling, but he just kept going. <laughs> yeah, that that's one thing I noticed as well. Like any anyone else, because he will he will in a world of hurt after that first event, the five k on the track. Anyone else would have reconsidered doing the fifteen hundred and then doing the marathon, which is just a crazy program to begin with, but. Jared seemed to just push himself to the women in the 1500 and then like the same in the marathon, just gave it everything. And 
I think it's a testament to how much heart and like toughness he has. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Um, yeah, like it was um, when he did qualify for the marathon. It was pretty amazing um, when he ran that two nineteen um, in that race that both of us did off the program that he had like in the week or two before it. And I think he got a lot of confidence from that fortnight in April where he did nationals and then he did uni games, then he did the tan race and then he did the marathon. Like, and I think that program is like, okay, if I can do that, I can do it at the Olympics. Um, and, and what he wasn't accounting for was the difference in humidity. Um, even though they did a massive block in Cairns and really, did a lot of heat specific training uh, like talking to all of them they're like ah oh, just just different it was just different to cans um and uh when i went for a run um every day except for a couple of days while i was i was there in tokyo just quickly in the morning um and that first week it was almost oh geez it was so hard to run like you just felt like you hadn't run for about five years and um you just felt unfit and uh and it it was just just felt lethargic sluggish and um and like he hadn't had no energy no no pop and and it was hard to breathe um so um that's how i thought tokyo's weather was going to be for the whole trip and then it was just really interesting how about halfway in the trip like after about a week it just changed and it was it, it was a lot more um tolerable when it got to his um 1500 and marathon um it was still still different but it was a lot more tolerable um so i think the the doctor um richie saw um of the team was pretty pretty wrapped when the weather changed for the marathon yeah i can imagine yep <laughs> so um so was there was there much downtime over there to see any other sports or like you, you mentioned you got some of your own running done over there yeah there was um it's it, that's that was the other part like the, it's an incredible long time to be in the village of your events late in the in the piece um so a few athletes arrived late which was really smart and and they were but then a, a few of them were there for about 10 days before they had to compete um and what i what i really took from that is like um yeah I, I would have found that really hard because you you kind of like kind of getting um super pumped and motivated seeing your other aussie teammates compete and do what they're doing whether it was rug wheelchair rugby or basketball or swimming and um or cycling and um uh and achieve the successes that they did but then you've still got another nine days to sort of um uh control that that um energy and and then not get too overawed by the whole situation and, and not too drained and focused um too far out so um a few of the athletes i thought handled that really well and they were they just um were really good at turning off and um uh yeah you know i think jared spent a few t few blocks where he would just um you know just do other things whether it was um yeah calling home or or um spending a bit of time um just by yourself here and there in in your room um uh but to be honest like just um 
meeting different people um, was a really good, um, uh, I, I found that that's what I was doing um, a lot of my downtime, just um, getting introduced to new people and, and chatting to different people that I found interesting or learning new things um, um, from the coaches that I was rooming with. Um, and then watching watching sports that I'd never watched before, like I'd never watched goalball before. Um, and then when the Aussie women won their first first match ever in Paralympic history, that was kind of cool. Like the whole team was like super wrapped and, and excited about that. Um, you know, the opening ceremony, like although we weren't allowed to sort of march into the stadium, we still did stuff around the village for that. Closing ceremony, still did stuff around the village for that. Um, and then just the fact that we weren't allowed to, as the Australian team, there was, um, we were the only team that didn't go to the dining hall. So, um, we were, you know, taking those extra precautions to, to not, to not, um, have trouble with COVID. So, um, we were self catered for, and, and we had like some amazing dietitians, um, who prepared, um, who worked tirelessly, like um Vaughny um and a couple of her um crew um they would have four hours sleep a night that's it for the for the whole two and a half weeks just wow. um yeah preparing from early in the morning at, at four in the morning for the team for breakfast because you know some events were um you know triathlon early in the morning and then then they'd prepare lunch and then they'd prepare dinner and then they'd have to prepare like little eskies or packs for people that were competing even earlier than that um for the next day um so there was they were they were incredible but like that was also a, a really cool hive to hang around because there was a table tennis table um there was a tv and everyone was eating and um it was uh you know amazing food um you know given that we were in a different country like they prepared so well um and uh yeah i often just found myself downstairs outside um or at the table tennis table or watching tv and, and just hanging out around you know athletes from different sports and and chatting to them and um yeah getting some insight into their story um and because everyone was you know living together um and dining together um i think that's what also created that close-knit team and um and that amazing feeling around the village Um, what was it like running the event village? It would have definitely been different from the usual um, Wangi Fauna or Ben. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The athletes village was actually pretty small. Like I reckon it took uh, ten minutes to run around the perimeter, and it was all concrete. Um, and um, uh, we were allowed to run without a without a mask. Um, and but then every other moment you're pretty much wearing a mask and um we had those um n95 masks um those duck beak kind of masks that um were really good like you could tell they did the job really well but you got like that's what i'm loving right now the last three days is um in quarantine just not having to wear a mask um because i'm inside um uh yeah especially in the heat in the first week it was it was a it was a challenge, but you know, it was a small price to pay for the event to go ahead and to stay safe. Um, but yeah, that the, the, there wasn't like an amazing sort of area to run like, but there was a little good sort of patch along the waterfront 
um, that everyone ran um, just up and back, and and that was nice. That was that became my little daily loop, and there was a little grass oval um, that still had like this little goat's track around it that I, I just could imagine all the Ethiopians and Kenyans from the Olympic Games uh, had created um, a few weeks before that. Um, yeah, like you could really you could see the imprint um, on the grass. So I reckon they were just doing laps upon laps um, around there. Um, yeah, so yeah, and then otherwise, um, I, I was able to um, go to the training venue, which is about a half an hour bus trip um, away from the village, um, a couple of times, and uh, I was um, a bit of a training hack um, for Sam Harding um, one time, and and Tim Logan. And then the um, and Cliffy and Roger one time as well. Um, so, like that that was an awesome experience. Um, trying to trying to run with those guys and keep up and and then and be a part of it so close to their events. And um, probably one other aspect that I haven't mentioned of the trip was um, you think of Japan and and the and the public transport being really organised, but I think because of the whole code of covid protocol the buses were really slow so it was quite a, a tiring um aspect of the trip traveling to and from the track each day um uh, whether that was for training or whether it was for one of the competitions um, um and and the track and field program uh there was and whether it was also being in a different country and, and not completely understanding um yeah what was what was going on or being said um yeah so public transport was 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 hard and tiring but um you know i think that's part of it i think that's just part of um competing at at that highest level um in a different country um and it was amazing uh how well um yeah the athletes and everyone just coped with it and just rolled with it like that's just it's just um yeah it show, shows how resilient all of them were It, was there much interaction with the other countries that were there or was it very kind of isolated, so to speak? Yeah, it was really isolated, Pete, um, which which was like I was listening to like Riley Bat sort of talk on one of the last days and he's like that compared to other Olympic Paralympic experiences, um, he said that the dining hall um, where the Australians weren't allowed to go um, – but all the other countries were that's often like one of the highlights of the trip um uh and um and then we felt like a little bit rude at times um you know people would ask to swap pins we had these pins um to swap and interact with other countries and um you know often um we'd be especially when it was um earlier in the piece and um uh, we would just turn, we'd have to turn it down and, and just, um, not, not interact. Um, and like, as long as, um, we had alcohol, um, uh, sanitizer cream. Um, like I, I just use that nonstop. Like I, I, I had one of them in my pocket everywhere and, um, and it was like, yeah, I guess, I guess, um, everyone was just doing everything they could to make sure that, um it went ahead and um it was a safe environment um and yeah i think all that hard work was rewarded because you know we've come back and and uh you know whole 
Paralympic Australian team has come back healthy. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was amazing, amazing um, result given the uncertainty going into the Games. Um, and, you know, um, not only was it an incredible experience to, to be able to do a competition like this during this time, but to show that it can be done um, safely, um, yeah, was, was um, really encouraging um, for, for so many of us. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's exactly right. The the safety of the athletes and the officials have to be paramount above anything else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, what was you briefly mentioned the opening closing ceremonies before? What, what, um, what were they actually like, or as close to what they you were able to do over there? Yeah, the opening ceremony, um, pretty much um, we all got dressed up at the village and then um, uh, the flag bearers, um, so Riley Batten and Danny DeToro, um, did a couple of speeches and uh, Kate McLaughlin, um, the chief demission, she gave a speech and a few others gave speeches and um, they were pretty inspiring, to be honest. Um, like it was... It was it was another one of those moments where you sort of, you know, you got the goosebumps and, um, yeah, you sort of got that shiver through your body, like, and it really hit home what you were doing and, and what, what a special privilege it was to, to be a part of the team. Um, so there was a lot of speeches and then pretty much, um, we had to just send off, um, uh, Danny and Riley, the flag bearers off to the opening ceremony. And it was just them that, um, participated, uh, we watched it from the village, um, but really it was pretty subdued. Everyone was about to compete um, and a lot of people were getting early nights. So there wasn't much to it. Um, the closing ceremony, um, yeah, same thing, sent off um, the flag bearer um, early on in the piece and uh, and then we all sort of... Um, yeah, got changed and but then that was um, that was quite good like um, everyone was letting let their hair, hair down a bit more and everyone celebrated a bit more you know we'd got through the games um, there were so many amazing experiences um, the yeah a few of the athletes like let off a bit of steam which was was great because we'd been so like strict and regimented like um you know that whole whole time so that was just at the village um and we just had a bit of a barbecue um actually had meat pies um and uh yeah that was it was a good 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 um sort of way to cap off the um experience um and everyone was there and you know everyone was you know laughing there was a bit of karaoke um and uh yeah, no, good memories and um, uh, like I just remember finishing um, like and, and that night and and the next morning going far out. That was awesome. Like just so many good conversations and sharing. Everyone was just sharing, you know, what they enjoyed the most from from the Paralympics and um, uh, yeah, just just um, seeing people laugh and um, and uh, yeah. Um, just being around people, I think that was what the privilege was, wasn't it? Um, we haven't had enough of that um, in recent times. Um, so we were all pretty fortunate to 
share such a, an experience together and um, as, a, as a team um, among, like, and, and be allowed to sort of um, do something um, like this together um, and, and to feel a part of it, um, just a small part as a physio, but, but um, to witness it, um, yeah, I'll never forget it. Yeah, that, that's really awesome to hear. Um, how are you? So you're back in Melbourne now after a long trip. How are you? How are you finding adjusting back? Oh, the first few days in in um, hotel quarantine. Um, I reckon I had I've had ten hours sleep each night. So, um, and that's deep sleep, like no, not waking up. And normally I'm not the deepest sleeper, so I think I needed it. Um. I think you're just running on adrenaline a little bit while you're over there trying to make the most of the opportunity and you're always thinking about like I remember just thinking about the next day and the next day and what athlete needed what and 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 you're always just sort of making sure that you you, you know there was a bit of pressure because you're like well they've you know they've it's such a big big occasion for them and they've trained so hard for this and um, I remember just treating a few of the athletes like literally just before they went out for a warm up before the biggest day um, of their, you know, um, of their careers, and and I was like far out. I, you know, I, I don't want to do much different here. I don't want to stuff up. I, I, I um, I just want to, you know, make sure that they're happy and and they're content. And um, so there's a bit of pressure that you even put on yourself um, um, each day you're out there and. You're just trying to do the right thing so that um, everything goes well, um, and and it was great to get back and not have that pressure um, and that you that you put on yourself and and just to um, it's pretty weird, isn't it? Like quarantine, um, I haven't done one before, but two weeks in in a room where you're not allowed out of it um, by yourself, and uh, when the guy brought me in, he's like, "I'll see you in two weeks," and that was a bit weird, like. That's when it hit home. Um, he closed the door and he said, "I'll see you in two weeks." Um, and yeah, just getting, getting, um, yeah, um, a knock on the door and and then okay, yep, that's lunch or that's breakfast, and then quickly getting it with your mask on and and then I've got an exercise bike here and a bit of gym equipment, but yeah, probably losing a, a bit of fitness, but um, I'm okay with that. I, I probably need it. Um, um, using it as a bit of a down phase. Um. Been able to do a little bit of physio, um, a few physio appointments already and I've booked a few in for next week and um, just catching up with um, all you lot with the coaching and but then a lot of family and friends as well. So I've been pretty lucky. I've just been um, chatting and talking um, to so many people and because I've got nothing on, it's it's like this free hit at um, just, um, yes, yeah, spending the time how you like and, and not having any other commitments. Um, so it's it's a bit of a i'm taking it as a bit of a a bit of a blessing and um it's like oh, okay well it's a bit of time that i can do stuff that i don't have time for so normally so um i think the last you know five or so days will get a bit repetitive and and might i might be sort of craving um some wind or getting outside and and actually some real conversations um um and interactions outside and and, and a, a good old run but yeah, it's um actually been actually all right the last few days. I've actually enjoyed just winding down and relaxing and trying to recuperate. And um, yeah, actually pretty wrapped to be back in Australia. Um, I love my experience um in Tokyo, but at the same time was starting to miss home. And um, uh, which which sounds weird because I know 
like a lot of people like Dane, you're not missing much with with lockdown. Um, uh, and I'm so grateful for having the opportunity that I had. Um, but yeah, was pretty keen to see um, family and friends again. Um, and yeah, just get back. Yeah, you, you definitely need a, a nice little reset. You you've been working extremely hard for a long time, so. It's good to see you just kind of relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> the, the first time I think I've seen you in a while. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, th I think it's a good skill. Um, everyone needs to know how to relax. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think some people are better at relaxing than others. And, um, and then, yeah. And then vice versa. But like, I think, yeah, I reckon I used to be better at relaxing than I have been the last year or two. So, um, yeah. I think that balance between yeah knowing when when to work hard and knowing when when it's time to switch off is um yeah something that um yeah is a good skill and um yeah otherwise you're just risking that burnout so um yeah I, I think like it maybe took me like like I, I've actually gone straight into relaxing mode I think I was just cooked so <laughs> like it hasn't been hard to sort of relax right now I, I just um yeah it was just I, I guess like like even arriving back home like the 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 amount of stuff that we had to do through the airport like we were in the airport at Tullamarine for about five hours um and then we were waiting outside the hotel in the bus for um about an hour and a half just because they only let one um athlete or or um staff member go into the hotel at once um uh, they're just really um trying to trying to be um covid safe with everything and um yeah so now it was it's um it's great to um you know finally be be back and um yeah back to normal hopefully like normal normal life um and ho hopefully like um yeah we're not 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 too far off um a bit of um yeah normal life um you know hopefully come november december back home in melbourne Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. You, um, do you have anything else you'd like to add or any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, not really, Pete. Like, I think I've sort of covered it really well. Um, yeah, just um, incredibly, just the fact that I'm, yeah, incredibly lucky to have had this opportunity um, that I learnt so much. Um, uh about um, different disabilities and different events, whether it was the jumping events, the throws events, about championship uh, uh, racing. Um, how I've got, I've certainly got some new heroes and that I admire, and I admire their resilience, graciousness, and how worldly they are. Like I've certainly um, got some new heroes from the experience and. Um, and I've come away with like some amazing highlights that I'll never forget uh, for the rest of my life. Um, uh, yeah, so they're they're probably the the, the main the main things, and um, uh, and and I feel like um, in, in incredibly um, yeah blessed to sort of um, have um, you know been part of the Paralympic movement and um, uh, and like. Danny um, DeToro, like, 
in in the opening ceremony in her address uh, as as one of the captains of the team. Uh, I think she said it really well. She's like, let's let's take COVID as um, there's a silver lining in COVID, and and let's um, I think COVID will bring us closer together as a team, and and it certainly did. Um, and uh, I think the impact that the Paralympics um, uh, has had, and and going forward into 2032, um, Brisbane and and um, the future. Uh, it's probably been magnified because of COVID. So I, I, I really like that sentiment because um, often, and, and it's, that's so classical of um, what I saw in all the athletes. They always saw, oh, okay, well, this has happened, but how can I, um, what's the positive in this situation? And um, that was just another clear example of how they viewed the whole um, scenario. So, yep, great experience. And that's a wrap because I've blabbered on way too long. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Yeah, that's, um, that's definitely a definitely a powerful statement to end on, and I can safely say that all the run culture hours and everyone that's um, been part of this journey were, were all proud of the accomplishment and the work you were able to do in Tokyo. Oh no, thanks, thanks, mate. Um, well, it certainly um, makes me feel like I've learnt a lot of lot of good stuff that we can sort of um, use going forward um we're always learning um and just another good experience to 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 grow um as people um so yeah thanks so much for yeah doing this interview with me pete uh it was it was a pleasure <laughs> beauty